Are you looking for a podcast that your whole family can enjoy that asks the deep philosophical questions like, do trees fart? If you are, then you'll love Tumble, a science podcast for kids. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Marshall. Join us as we explore stories of science discovery, from butts to animals, dinosaurs, astronomy, and everything in between. You'll love these stories, and you'll learn something new. Find and follow Tumble Science Podcast for Kids wherever you get your podcasts, or at sciencepodcastforkids.com. Soundsington Media! Oh, hello? Hey, Meredith. Um, hey, Brian, what's up? Do you need anything from the basement? Why are you calling me from the basement? I thought it'd be quicker than walking upstairs. Oh, uh, no, I'm good, but get up here. I'm about to start the intro. Are you recording now? Yeah, I am. Well, let's kick it off. You mean while we're on the phone? It's the telecommunications episode. Hey, that's fun. I'm Meredith Stepien. And I'm Brian Holden. And this is Reach, a space podcast for kids. Welcome to Reach, a space podcast for kids. Every day we talk to each other on our phones, over the internet. And even from the basement. And even from the basement. Sorry, folks, one second. Get up here. On my way. While we wait for Brian, one thing you'll notice about our conversation just now is that it took place nearly instantaneously because we're so close to each other in proximity. That's right. But when scientists and engineers are connecting with spacecraft and observing planets across our solar system, sending those signals can take the collaboration of people around the world. We're going to hear all about those signals in a few minutes, but first, we wanted to ask our Reach listener community, if you could send a signal into outer space, what would you send? Let's listen to some of the answers. Hi, this is Blythe, and if I were to send a signal to space, I'd probably ask if there was any life out there and to please respond. Hi, my name is Bria, and I'm 11 years old. If I were to send a signal to space... I would say, hi, I'm from Earth, and I would say, what do people on your planet do for fun? Hello, my name is Liza, I'm seven years old, and if I could send a signal into outer space, I would say, galaxies around the world, I do not know much of what you are or who you are, but I still believe you're there. Oh boy, I love those answers, Brian. They yeah. were so nice. And some of them were very stately, too. Maybe some future space ambassadors in that group. Yeah. Looking at you, Liza. Sending signals into outer space and communicating with spacecraft in the far reaches of our galaxy takes a sophisticated and complex system operated by scientists around the world. This system is known as NASA's Deep Space Network, and it's an international array of giant radio antennas that supports interplanetary spacecraft missions, plus a few that orbit the Earth. We were really lucky to sit down with Germaine Aziz, DAEP system engineer at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory, to learn all about the Deep Space Network. Let's have a listen. Welcome to REACH. It is an honor to have you on the podcast, Germaine. Uh, We have a good idea of who you are and what you do, 
But for anyone who is just joining us, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, uh, it's definitely my pleasure being here. Well, to start, my name is Jermaine. I am the Deep Space Network Aperture Enhancement Project System Engineer. I know it's a long title, um, but I basically, <laughs> I basically help with the build of any new antenna within the Deep Space Network. Okay, cool. Well, listen, you mentioned the Deep Space Network, so let's just dive right in. Can you tell us what the Deep Space Network is? Yes, in fact, um, the Deep Space Network is the largest and most sensitive scientific telecommunication system in the world. It is NASA's international array of giant radio antennas that range from 34 meter to 70 meter antennas, and they help support any and all interplanetary spacecraft missions, plus a few that orbit the Earth. Whoa, cool. Okay, so this is like a, a giant communication network that lets NASA and the people of Earth communicate with like spacecraft and telescopes and other things like that in space, right? Where are some of the other antennas located? And can you talk about what it's like to work with countries around the world to to help DSN understand the solar system better? So since we need to have continuous radio communication with each spacecraft, the DSN has three locations around the world that are approximately spaced at 120 degrees apart in longitude. One in California, the United States, uh, Madrid, Spain, and Canberra, Australia. So with this design, NASA is able to keep track of all the information and instructions going to and from the spacecraft. That's amazing. So now the 120 degree thing, okay, I just wanna dive a little further into this. So the Earth is a sphere, um, but if you're looking at it from one angle, it looks like a circle, right? And a circle is has 360 degrees in it. I know that because I used to be a snowboarder and I would try to do 360s off of jumps. And you mentioned that they're spaced roughly 120 degrees apart, and there's three of them around the Earth. So that sort of covers every part of uh, the Earth when we're looking out. Is that the idea that there will never be a moment when we can't communicate with a with a spacecraft? Absolutely. So as the Earth turns, the antennas need to rotate and move their large curved dishes to keep in touch with the various spacecrafts. So you may ask what happens when the spacecraft appears to set over the horizon from the antenna's point of view? Well, the spacecraft signal is then picked up by another DSN antenna complex on the other side of the world. Okay, so these antennas are kind of like handing off responsibility of who's communicating with each of the spacecraft. I like that. Yeah, it's a big network of teams. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great, that's great. And it's an international cooperation as well. As I said, NASA is our sort of American aerospace uh, organization, but there are many different space organizations around the world. China has one, Japan, there's the European Space Agency, the, uh, India has a, a space agency as well. Does everyone use this deep space network? Do you work in concert with other countries in that way? We do. We, we work as a team. That's one of my favorite things about space exploration and knowledge is that people from all over the world, you know, come together to make it happen because we're all exploring the universe together. You mentioned that the antennas will rotate a little bit to kind of increase the coverage or um, make sure that we're still able to communicate with some of the spacecrafts. Can you tell us a little bit more about the antennas that are a part of the deep space network? 
Yes. So as I mentioned, um, I work with uh, the DAP project, which essentially builds any new antenna. So I primarily help with the build of the new 34-meter beam waveguide antennas. But each location has one 70-meter antenna that weighs about 9 million pounds. And it has a few 34-meter antennas, and they weigh about 1 million pounds. So it's important to note that an array of four 34-meter antennas, it's easier to maintain and it can provide the same or better performance as a 70-meter antennas. And that is why we are continuing to build new 34-meter antennas in the Deep Space Network. Okay, Jermaine, is it true that the DSN, the Deep Space Network signal, travels 19 billion kilometers from Earth? Yes, the DSN communicates with 50 to 60 spacecrafts, including spacecrafts that are more than 19 billion kilometers from Earth. So round trip, that signal takes over 35 hours to get from one place to another. So that's one long distance phone call, and it's definitely hard to top that with my phone line. (laughs) (laughs) I hear you. Yes. I mean, you know, I get worried about like the Wi-Fi in certain rooms in my house. I can't imagine trying to set up a a 19 billion kilometer signal. That's, That's really cool. Well, we've talked about the Deep Space Network a bit, but I am also curious about you and and your background and interests. So how did you first become interested in space and science, and what led you to working at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory? Well, growing up, I was always interested in STEM. I loved all my science, technology, engineering, and mathematics courses, and that ultimately led me to receiving my bachelor's and master's in structural engineering. I was always really curious as to how things worked, and I wanted to understand the fundamentals behind them. So my curiosity led me to thinking about helping with building a base for the ability to explore our planet and the space around it. And luckily, I was able to land an internship with the DSN my senior year of my undergrad. And once I graduated, I really knew that JPL is where I wanted to be. Wow, that is so cool. So. I want to say, Jermaine, we are so grateful for your time. Before we go, we like to ask our guests what advice you might have for our young listeners dreaming about a career in space and science. I think the key is do everything with confidence. Confidence shines very bright and you can do it. Just remember that. Well, thank you, Jermaine, so much for joining us. Um, I really enjoyed getting to talk to you today and I hope you have a great rest of your day. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Wow, a huge thanks to Jermaine Aziz from the Deep Space Network for joining us on Reach. We learned so much about how different countries across the world work together to communicate and observe space, but I really liked her advice to do everything with confidence. And speaking of communication, Brian, we had a fun visit with one of our neighbors the other day. You mean the one celestial object that holds our solar system together? You know it. It's our favorite source of light and energy. Please welcome the sun to this week's edition of Did You Know? Thanks so much for having me, Brain and Meredith. Did you know that I am the center of your solar system and make up 99.8% of the mass of the entire solar system? Really? Wow. In fact, your planetary system is named the Solar System because my real name is Sol, after the Latin word for sun, solus. So, anything related to the sun, (laughs) we call solar. That makes a lot of sense. Say, how hot is your core, the sun? 
my core is about 27 million degrees Fahrenheit, or 15 million degrees Celsius. Oh, did you know that without my energy, there would be no life on Earth? So, who do you keep track of in your orbit these days? I am orbited by eight planets, at least five dwarf planets, and tens of thousands of asteroids. So, what's your favorite thing about being the sun? <laughs> My favorite thing about being the sun? Um, I guess it's that I'm the center of everything. <laughs> I do like the attention. Also, some people say I'm really hot. <laughs> I guess I also like to be associated with happiness. You know... All the songs written about me, here comes the sun, you are my sunshine. I mean, when people think of me, they think of a bright, happy day. And I like that. Thanks so much for joining us on Reach, the sun. Well, thanks for having me, and see you on the other side. <laughs> That's a little solar system humor, see, because when you go to sleep tonight, the Earth is turning, and so it's going to look like I'm not there, but I'm actually here. So I'll see you on the other side when you wake up. <laughs> I think you get what I mean. Basically, I'm going to be staying right here. <laughs> you know, the sun's pretty dependable. Rises in the east and sets in the west? I was talking about getting into the interview on time. Oh, yeah, that's true, too. Yeah. Each week on Reach, we feature at-home activities, along with topics for further discussion built for interactive learning. Recently, we've had a lot of requests from school teachers and libraries to share more math-related content on Reach. We love math. So today we're rolling out a new segment that we like to call <gasps> Math Time! That's right, it's Math Time! And this week on Math Time, we're celebrating Pi Day, which as we all know is March 14th. We thought we'd share a few fun facts and activities about our favorite number. Pi! Pi is defined as the ratio of a circle's circumference to its diameter and is approximately equal to 3.14159. Hence, our celebration of Pi Day on March 14th, 314. Ah, yes. And NASA uses Pi in a variety of ways. Pi is used to study earthquakes on Earth and, in the future, Mars quakes on Mars. Mars quakes? I guess that is what they would be called. Yeah. Scientists also use Pi, along with Kepler's third law, to calculate how long it takes an exoplanet to make one full orbit of its star to reveal the planet's location. And NASA engineers communicating with spacecraft through the Deep Space Network use Pi in math equations needed to send messages and process those that are sent back. Check out our show notes for some amazing resources about other ways we use Pi to explore space, take the NASA Pi Challenge, and get links to teacher resources and activities. And for some reach extra credit, research and write out as many digits of pi as you can on a single sheet of paper and send us a photo. Feel free to share on social media. Just be sure to tag at reach the podcast. We'll be sure to hit like at least 3.14159265355 times. So basically three times. Nope, 3.14159265. Okay, Meredith. Hey, what a cool conversation with Jermaine Aziz from NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory. Yeah, it's a great reminder that, you know, communicating with things in space is a global effort. You gotta have satellites positioned all around the world in special places. So cool that we're all connected on this Earth by something that's out in space. <laughs> that's a good point. Do you have a question about space? We'd love to hear from you. Get your parents' permission and give us a call at 312-248-3402. Then leave us a message with your first name, where you're from, and your question for a chance to be featured in an upcoming episode. 
We can also accept your questions via email. Just send us your first name, where you're from, and what question you'd like answered at reachthepodcast at gmail.com. As always, we want to acknowledge that not everyone has access to computers or the internet. And if you're not able to get online, many local libraries offer publicly available internet access. Thanks for joining us for Reach, a space podcast for kids. We're your hosts, Meredith Stepien and Brian Holden. This episode of Reach was written by Sandy Marshall with Nate DeFort, Meredith Stepien, and Brian Holden. Very special thanks to Jermaine Aziz, DAEP System Engineer at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory, for joining us on the show. To learn more about the Deep Space Network, visit the link in our show notes. The Sun was voiced by the legendary Rachel Dratch, who you know from her many years on Saturday Night Live, playing Nora Freeze and Queen Hippolyta on DC's Harley Quinn, and NBC's Mr. Mayor. Follow Rachel on Twitter at the Real Dratch. And thanks to our friends at NASA Space Place and Kay Ferrari at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory. And as always, a big thanks to the Reach Learning Community. That's right. We especially want to thank Blythe, Liza, and Bria for joining us on the show. Thanks, team. You were so inspiring. Hey, Meredith, side note. Did you know that driving a car to the nearest star at 70 miles per hour would take more than 356 billion years? Oh, so probably not in time for Halloween. Uh, no. Well, no. Why? What's what's? I really want to trick-or-treat on another star. Hey, if you're enjoying Reach, be sure to tell your friends and leave us a rating and review in your podcast player of choice. Or share an episode on social media. And if you'd like to find us online, visit at Reach the Podcast on Twitter and Instagram or on our website at ReachThePodcast.com. Reach is a production of Soundsington Media, committed to making quality programming for young audiences and the young at heart. For more information on our shows and the people behind them, go to SoundsingtonMedia.com. Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? We sure have. That's why we launched the Bites of Health podcast. Every morning, we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, streaming now.